about a subject today. I mean, this has really been on my heart, and I hope it will be a help and it will be an encouragement to you. Uh, our generation that we're living in today it has quite a few issues. Of course, you all know, and I don't want to just get up here and complain about you know the way things are going. But um, you know, it's very clear that we are going the wrong direction in our country today, in our homes, in our churches, all across the board. And I believe there's. Uh, there's several reasons for it, but I really want to look at maybe mainly one reason today that I think we're struggling in many areas like we are today, and our focus, I believe, is wrong. And we see a focus that people had in the Bible in this passage in Hebrews chapter 11, and then there's also an example of somebody who had, I believe, a folk, the focus of today's society in Isaiah chapter 39. But first, I want to read this passage to you. From the book of Hebrews. This is, of course, Hebrews chapter 11. This is what many people call the Hall of Faith. The Bible is mentioning all of these people from the Old Testament who they showed faith. They, people like Abraham, people like Abel, that they pleased God by their faith that they had. And then it goes on in verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 11, and it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country. That is in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. Boy, notice that last statement there where it says, God was not ashamed to be their God. You know, I don't want God to be ashamed that He's my God. I hope I'm the kind of person that uh, he would be that he would be proud of that. But these people, the Bible says that the promises they received in the Old Testament, people like Abraham, God made some promises to Abraham that really Abraham never got to see. God promised Abraham that he would multiply his seed as the stars of the sky. But did Abraham get to see that promise? No, he didn't get to see that promise. We see many of the prophecies that God gave in the Old Testament. Prophecies concerning Israel. Prophecies concerning the Messiah. These people, they never got to see those things, yet they still followed God. They did His will. Abraham, he left the Ur of the Chaldees where he was from. He left that place of comfort. He went to a strange land where he knew nothing of. He'd never been there. He knew nothing about it. But he went there because God told him, that was where I want you to go and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And Abraham never got to see that happen. But he he was fine with that because he understood that on this earth, we're nothing more than just strangers 
and we're pilgrims. We're really just passing through this earth. And compared to eternity, our time on earth, it's very short. And the people in the Old Testament, they understood that. Our founding fathers understood that. I think about people uh, in our military, maybe from even from back, way back in the past, that went and fought and died. Why? So we could have a free country. Did they get to see that free country? No, they didn't. They died. But they were looking for They were looking into the future. What they were doing is they were thinking about the next generation. And really up until recent years, that was the way everyone was. Their focus was always on the next generation and everything. And I believe that today we have a different mindset. A mindset that I, that I see in Isaiah chapter 39. I want to go to the book of Isaiah chapter 39. This is about a man uh, this is about uh, named King Hezekiah. And on Wednesday, we've been going through the kings of Judah and we just talked about Hezekiah. And I just want to say Hezekiah was a wonderful king. Hezekiah, I mean, there, there are some amazing stories about him in the Bible. I wish I could take time to tell you some of the stories about Hezekiah and what a great king that he was. But unfortunately, Hezekiah, after the Lord blessed him, after he had gotten some amazing victories... Over his enemies. I mean, victories that uh, man would look at and just it, it blew it blew their mind. He went. They defeated the Assyrians. Of course, it wasn't Hezekiah that did it. God sent an angel that defeated the entire army. And what an exciting thing it was. And after all this happened, you know, people started thinking Hezekiah is great. They started thinking that Judah was great, and he got lifted up with pride. And in Isaiah chapter 39, we see, we're not going to take time to read the whole story, but this man with a really long, funny name comes along and from Babylon, a very wicked place. And Hezekiah, for some reason, he decides he's going to show him all the treasures of his house. And so he goes and he does, he brings them through and he shows him everything. And then Isaiah the prophet, he confronts him after this. And he's like, he said, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah told him, he said, I've seen everything. Or they've seen everything. And then in verse 5, Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Right here, Hezekiah has just been delivered a terrible, terrible prophecy. Because of what he did, because he got lifted up with pride, Isaiah said, Judah's going to be taken captive. It's not going to be in the future. This isn't going to happen to you. It's going to happen to your sons. It's going to happen to your, your descendants. They're going to be taken captive. I mean, this is a terrible prophecy that he's just been given. And listen to what Hezekiah said. It says in verse 8, Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. He said, Moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. I think that's a horrible statement. Hey, you know what he's saying? Hey, that was a terrible prophecy, but it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me. It's going to happen to the next generation. That's a horrible attitude. And let me tell you something. I believe that is the attitude 
of our nation today, people, they don't care about the next generation. For example, uh, our you know, fiscal situation, our financial situation, we're in, in our country today. Uh, the debt that we're racking up, it's going to affect our grandchildren. And you know what, most people? Hey, as long as it's not hurting me today, they don't care. And let me tell you, I believe that's a sorry attitude. I believe that's an unchristian attitude. I believe it's an un-American attitude. That's not the way it's always been. And throughout the Bible, and even until recent history, people always believed in working for the next generation. First off, in the homes especially. In the homes, it was always had that mindset that we want to prepare the next generation. The old mindset was, I need to train my children to be better than I was. I want to train my children to be better than I was. I, my parents, I remember when I was growing up, you know, my dad sometimes would tell stories about when he was a kid, when he was a teenager, and some of the stuff that he was allowed to do. And I said, Dad, why can't I do that? Well, because, you know, this might happen, that might happen. I was like, you know, you turned out fine. And I remember him telling me before, I want you to be better than I was. And there were, there were a lot of things that he did I wasn't allowed to do growing up in his household because he wanted me to be better than he was. That was his focus. He wanted, he wanted me to have a better life. And he wanted me to have, uh, you know, have more than what he had. But today, the new mindset is when it comes to raising children, I hear this all the time, and that's just, I can't wait till my kids turn 18 so I can get them out of my house. That's the mindset today. I just want to get them out of my house. And you know, the truth is, children are one of our Probably one of the greatest gifts that God gives next to salvation. Salvation, of course, is the greatest gift. But you know, the Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, I mean, the reason many people are just anxious to get him out of the house, kids today have just become a nuisance to the parents. They're an obstacle to maybe the fun that they want to have. They look at the thing, oh, i got to buy them shoes instead of buying... Beer. I got to buy them, you know, clothes instead of buying my lottery tickets. You know, I've got to watch my kids instead of watching the ball game. I don't, you know, whatever it is, they see them as an obstacle to the fun that they want to have. And yet, let me tell you something that blows my mind because I think about the joy that my kids bring me, and you know, it doesn't compare to a ball game. It doesn't even compare to just a little extra money. It doesn't compare to any of those things. And I'm telling you right now that children are a blessing. The Bible says in Psalms 127 verse 3, Dad read this last week in church, said, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. That's a reward. This is good. You know, what would you think if you were, maybe you, at your job, you were working with somebody, and the boss came and said, Hey, listen, we're going to give you a bonus. All right, we're, you know, we're giving you extra money on your paycheck. What am I going to do with extra money? You'd be like, what? what's your problem? Hey, you know, you don't want it? I'll take it. Why wouldn't you want that? Well, you know what? Children are a reward, the Bible says. Yet people these days, they don't want them. And that, that blows my mind. And you know why they don't want them most of the time? It's because they're just seeing dollar signs. They cost money. This will take away from some of my fun things I want to do. And let me tell you, children beat the fun, you know, the fun, in quotation, stuff that's out there. The Bible says in verse 4, Psalms 127, As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. 
Bible says happy is a man who has his quiver full of them. Yeah, I mean, when I had five kids, I used to tell people all the time, I was like, man, my quiver's full. And, you know, and I, I was happy. But you know what? I found out there's room for one more. And let me tell you, you know, Lana, she's just brought, she's brought more happiness. The Bible says happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. And you know, there's a lot of people out there today that have, seem to have all the money, seem to have all the time and all the things, but they're not real happy. Maybe they're missing one of the greatest joys that God gives, and that is children. And you know, I know there's some people they can't have them, and, and but uh, boy, even adoption. I believe in adoption. I think that's a wonderful thing to do. Kids are a wonderful blessing. Happy. I mean, have you ever noticed that big families always seem happy? I I was at the dentist the other day getting my teeth done. One, you know, one of the most horrible things in the world going to the dentist. It actually went pretty good. I was I was pretty scared going in there, but I survived. But I remember the lady she was cleaning my teeth, and she's. Telling me about her family, and I think she said there was 15 kids. She was number 12 out of 15. And yeah, she seemed like a pretty happy person. She was talking a whole lot about her family, and she's like, yeah, I don't know why your parents are crazy, but I'm glad they had number 12. <laughs> and, and you know, I'm telling you, big families have always seemed like happy families. Uh, and I think there's a something to it. The Bible says that they are a reward from the Lord. But I will say this that children are work. Raising children, raising that next generation, it is work. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of His correction. Because we're children of God, He sometimes has to punish us. He sometimes has to get on us when we need it. But the Bible, And then the Bible goes on, it says in verse 12, For whom the Lord loveth, He correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom He delighteth. Notice that a father corrects the son that he delights in. Now that almost sounds like a contradiction because I don't I think every parent in here would say that, you know, discipline is not a fun thing. And it's and it's not saying here that a father gets delight in discipline, but what it's saying is that the father who gets delight from his son is disciplining him. He's training him. He's raising him and he gets he gets delight from those things. You know, I'm just, you know, I mean, I got some delight this week. You know, Jason, he, um, you know, I, I, we, I get onto him and make fun of him sometimes for it, but when he was little, he was naturally pretty lazy. And he, and he still kind of is sometimes. You know, that's okay. It's human nature. He overcomes it. But, you know, I've always trained him to be a hard worker. And, you know, if he, if he, when he was younger, I know this isn't very politically correct, but if he would ever do anything girly, I'd make him drop and give me 20. And just, uh, you know, like he's going to be, he's going to be a man. And, you know, this week at camp, you know, I mean, he made us real proud. He, like, slaughtered everybody in the pull-up competition. I mean, just more than doubled everybody else. You know, he beat a kid way bigger than him in the arm wrestling thing they do. I mean, he was just, you know, he was dominating physically. And I was thinking, you know... Those push-ups, they paid off, you know. And, and you know the the not, you know, I, I let my kids play video games and stuff, but I make them earn it. If there's work to do. If it's nice outside, they need to be outside, getting dirty, you know, doing something physical, and you know, it paid off and, and it felt good. And you know what else? There's been there's been a lot of discipline in there too. But you know, I'm getting delight from the product of it. I'm, I, I I do I delight in my children. I I take I have great joy with my children. Bible says in Proverbs thirteen twenty four, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes, which means early. 
You start out, you know, I told my wife yesterday, you know, I don't see anything in the Bible about whooping your daughter, but I see it about the son all the time. And, and I don't know, maybe there's something to that. But it says, you do it beat them. You start the discipline process early. And let me tell you, with the boys, they started, you know, they start, you know, even the girls too, they started showing that sin nature pretty early. Tommy, he was passing out from losing his temper. He would start screaming and he would hold his breath and pass out. I think the first time he did, he was only like three months old. And I'm not kidding, when he got older, he would pass out at least once a day. If he would get hurt or just get mad, he would scream, he would hold his breath, and he would pass out. The ladies in the nursery at the church, they would panic whenever he would do it. Like, he's fine. We talked to the doctors about it. They said it's okay. Just if you see him holding his breath, lay him down on the ground. That way he doesn't fall and hit his head or something. And, and they would. And they just, they, oh, I didn't know what to do. It's like, he'll come to. He always comes to. And he did. I guess I did it when I was a kid too. I didn't do it that often. But every day, I remember one time he passed out. And then he woke. He, usually he'd come to and he'd forget what he was mad about. And then he'd go on and be fine. Well, he like came to and he remembered what he was mad about. You know, some of you are looking at me like, man, he was a terrible parent. Said, He's turned out fine. <laughs> and he's smart too. He didn't get any brain damage from it. But he, 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 came, he came to and he remembered he was mad. And he started screaming again and he passed out again. <laughs> I'm not kidding. But you know what? After... A great deal of biblical discipline. <laughs> he got over it. <laughs> he, he moved on. And, and the Bible here, people look at that verse and they say, that he spreads about hate and so on. I don't, I don't spank my kids and I don't hate my kids. The Bible's not saying that somebody who doesn't whoop their kids literally hates their child. But sometimes hatred is talking about, for example, if I was to steal something, if I was to... You know, if you were to go home this afternoon, maybe you stop and you go out to eat, and you come home and your house has been robbed, and you find out that it was me. All right, and then next week, you know, you go out in the parking lot after church and you see your tires have been slashed, and you find out it was me. Pretty soon, you're going to ask the question, "Brother Tommy, why do you hate me?" Okay, and it's and the reason you said is because if I'm stealing from you. If I'm, and maybe I don't hate you. Maybe I think it's funny. Maybe I'm, so I'm wanting to see. I'm wanting to see their face. I don't know, whatever it is, you're going to eventually going to think, why are you hating? Because that those are acts of hatred, aren't they? If I'm stealing from you, if I'm taking something from you, if I'm not giving something that you need, if I'm not give, maybe you're dying of hunger, you're dying of thirst, and I won't feed you. I won't give you something to drink. You would say that that's hatred and taking discipline away from a child. I don't care what your feelings are. You can have great feelings of love, but whatever you're feeling doesn't matter. That is an act of hatred because kids need that discipline. I used to teach my kids all the time when i go to the detention home, my wife would drop me off there sometimes. She had the kids with me and I would tell them, and it was true, the kids in this jail here, their moms and dads, they let them do whatever they want to do. They haven't been disciplined now, just because they got beat or something by their parents, that's not discipline, by the way. Child abuse is not discipline. That's just child abuse. There's a huge difference in biblical discipline and some of the child abuse that goes on. But I said, these things, they're not getting disciplined. So you know who has to do it? Police officers. Police officers discipline them. And, and they can't really do anything either, so they have to lock them up and pretty much just confine them. And you know what? Jail, you, you would think that jail would work really good, but it doesn't even compete with a parent, a mom and dad, using biblical discipline. It doesn't even compare. And I'm telling you, when I was a kid, I remember we went and looked at it. We, 
took our school to a tour in detention. Oh, man, that scared me to death. I was like, good night. They have jail for kids? Man, I, I, mean, I, I cleaned up my act. I don't think I did anything bad for two days after that. I mean, it, it scared me so bad. But you know what? I, know, I knew kids that went in there over and over and over again. You know why? It doesn't compete with a loving mother and father who discipline them and love and biblically. It works. But people, these, they're, when it comes to kids, they're not putting that effort in. They're not doing the training. They don't even want them. Why? Because they're thinking about today. They're thinking about themselves. And we've got to get back to thinking about the next generation when it comes to our families, when it comes to our kids. And unfortunately, that has changed very much also in our churches. We need to have this mindset of thinking about the next generation. You know the old mindset when it comes when it came to churches. People they used to go to a church. Uh, maybe if they if they visited a church or were looking for a church, whatever, they would go into a church and they would walk in there. And the question that would come to their mind is, where can I serve? What can I do? How could I be a blessing to that church? They would do that. And I mean that that was that was the mindset. I wanted it was a place where you would go and you had an opportunity to serve the Lord by serving others, and people would look for opportunities and look for places where they could be of service in the church. Nowadays, the new mindset is what does this church have to offer me? You know, most time when I tell people about our church and I ask, you know, you know, I'll tell me hey, I'm Pastor Liberty Baptist Church and I'll invite them to church, you know, they don't usually start asking doctrinal questions. Like, what do you believe about salvation? You know, what do you believe about the Bible? I don't usually get those questions. The questions I usually get is what kind of programs do you have for the kids? What kind of fun stuff do you do? And listen, I am all for churches doing fun stuff. I'm 100% for it. I believe if the Lord continues to bless our church and as our church grows, we'll start having some of those programs and we'll have some fun stuff that goes on. I'm all for that. I love fun. I think I have as much fun as anybody. But that mindset though, you know, the truth is for some people to have fun, somebody else has got to do some work. I think about at Lighthouse. Uh, Brother Joe, he's a, he's the bus captain over there. Some of you met him before he preached here for us one Sunday night. You know, one of the funnest things that he's done for the kids there is when he comes as Cuckoo the Clown. But you know, when he comes as Cuckoo the Clown, that poor guy gets beat to death. I mean, uh, the first time he did, he comes running out there and he's all crazy. And he wiped out on the concrete floor. He fell so hard. I have it on video. It's hilarious. I mean, he fell hard. He got a nasty bruise. I mean, he did all these things where he let the kids beat on him with this, you know, bad head padding on him. Stuff. I mean, all the kids were beating on him. He lets them do it. They're throwing balls at him. One time he got, they, he let them throw like balls of flour, uh, all kinds of different food items, pie and everything. He's been in the dunk tank a couple times. I mean, we have done all kinds of things to torture Cuckoo the Clown. And let me tell you something. When he was going through that, whatever he would get done, that poor man was wiped out. I mean, he was just done for. And he's one of these energetic guys, you know, always in a good mood. And, but he would just be wiped out. He didn't have that much fun. But let me tell you, those kids had a blast. Those kids remember that. I, I had a blast. I enjoyed watching it and getting to hit them with the bat a few times. And it, it, it was quite a bit of fun. But you know what? Sometimes for others to have fun, somebody else has got, they've got to put in some work. They've got to do, they've got to do some of the hard things. And many times, people, if, if everybody has that attitude of what's in it for me, well, 
if something's going to be in it for you, that means somebody else has to be giving. And I'm going to tell you right now, the Bible says it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Brother Joe, even though he took some beatings, and even though he had some nasty bruises and was wiped out, you know what? I do believe that he's got as much joy out of that as anybody else. Because you know why? He's done it like four or five times. He, he's done it over and over again. And every time he gets excited about what he's going to do, and I'm thinking, man, you're going to get the snot beat out of you again. But he, he doesn't care. I've always felt sorry if, if they ever had another kind of clown come there. I think the kids at Lighthouse now think clowns are for beating up. And that poor person, if they ever do that, uh, they might be in for it because if the kids don't get to beat them up, they're going to be disappointed. And uh, not everybody can take a beating like that. But we, do, we need people that have that mindset, that attitude, that, hey, where can I serve? Where can I be a blessing? That are willing, they're willing to do that. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Sometimes going to church, it's not about you. Sometimes you, going to church is about other people. There may be somebody in the church that needs your encouragement today. There might be somebody else in the church that needs to be provoked to love and to good works. You know, not everybody wants to do good works. Not everybody wants to love. And sometimes they need a little push. Not just from the pastor, but from other individuals in the church. Your presence, your being here is a help and it's a motivation to, to others. And you uh, being a part of that is so important. But these days, many people, they come and it's just, what? What's for me today? Waiting. Some people, they go to church purely for entertainment. Let me tell you, there's some churches out there. They put on some pretty impressive shows. I mean, boy, they've got all the fancy latest and greatest you know, equipment, sound gear, visual effects. I mean, they've got, they've got all that stuff and people literally come to be entertained. But I'm here, I'm here today to tell you that it's more blessed to give than to receive. When you come and you're the one serving, you're the one being a blessing, that's what we need in churches today. Matthew chapter 20, verse 27, Jesus is talking to His disciples and He said, And whosoever shall be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. I think we need to think about that verse for a minute there. The Son of Man came not to be ministered to. Wait a minute. Who was the Son of Man? That was Jesus Christ. Who was Jesus Christ? He was God Almighty. And who deserves all the worship and service? God Almighty does. But it says here, He didn't come to be ministered to. He came to minister and to give him give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ, and He told His disciples, you need to do the same thing. Right before his death, one of the final lessons he wanted to teach his disciples in John chapter 13, where we see the story where Jesus goes and he washes his disciples' feet. The creator of the universe, God Almighty, washes the disciples' feet. And he tells them in verse 13, after he, or in verse 12, he gets done. He sits down with them and he kind of looks at all of them and he was trying to teach them a lesson. And he says in verse 12, uh, he said, Know ye what I've done to you? Do you know what I just did? Well, the thing is, you washed your feet. 
didn't really understand that. And he told I did this, I did this for a reason. He said, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. He reminded, I am your Lord and Master. But then he says in verse 14, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Who's he talking to here? He's talking to his disciples. He was talking to the first church. And at church, that's one of the things that we do. We're supposed to serve one another. We're supposed to be a blessing to one another. And what we ought to do when we come into the house of God is where our mindset should be, where can I serve? How can I help? How can I be a blessing to that person and to that person? How can I be a blessing to each one? Who can I help? Who can I serve? Whose life can I make a difference in? That's what Jesus taught His disciples. When He commissioned them in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, to go into all the world and preach the Gospel and to teach them to observe all things, when He gave them that great commission, part of that was serving one another. Being a blessing. That service. What you know what that is? That's thinking about the next generation. That's why, you know, you know, we have these things for the little kids. What you know why we're we're trying you know these these kids programs we have, you know, we can go out and invite kids. You know how much money they're gonna bring in the church? Barely anything. We had a bus route for years over at Lighthouse, and I remember one time I can remember there was one time one of the kids had been coming on the bus for years, her mom she came out and she said, hey, we want to give this to the church. It be a blessing. And there was a check for $150. And boy, that was a huge blessing. We weren't expecting it. Didn't ask for it. Check for $150. Well, I don't know how many years. That, I mean, they've been running a bus route for over 20 years. That doesn't even come close to covering all the expenses that's gone into that. That maybe covers the gas for about a month. Why are they doing that? Thinking about the next generation trying to teach these kids about Jesus so they can get saved and so they can uh, they can go to heaven thinking about their eternal soul, trying to teach them some godly biblical principles so maybe they can grow up and they will continue going to church and they can raise their families for the Lord. Thinking about the next generation, that's what it's all about. And you know, us here as a new church too, it's that right now, you know, we're still young, we're still early in this thing, but we've got to have that mindset of working towards that next generation, making things better for the next generation that comes along. We want it to be better for the kids that are in this church than it is for us right now. That and we we've got it, but we if we get selfish, then you know, it's gonna be easy to look at this and say, you know, there's places where there's a lot more fun stuff going on. There's places where I can get greater entertainment. There's places that can make me feel better, but the question we should always ask ourselves is, is this where I can serve the Lord the best? Is this where God wants me? Got to be thinking about that next generation instead of what does the church have to offer me? In our nation, you know the old mindset, I, I, I always call it that pioneer spirit. I mean, you think about you know, the people who came over on the Mayflower to this country. Listen, they, they knew it was going to be hard. You think about the people, the pioneers that started traveling west. They knew it was going to be hard. They knew there was going to be difficulties. But why did they do that? Why did they spread out? Why did they expand it like that? Why did they start cutting down those trees and building those log cabins and things? They were doing that because they were trying to prepare 
for the next generation. Hey, this would be a great place to raise a family. They could see how, you know what, maybe in 50 or 100 years or even more that this could be a great town. And they went and they start, you know, they used to have to travel on horseback. They had to travel maybe on a, on a dirt road. Now today we have paved roads. Why do we have that? Because of pioneers. Somebody had to explore that territory at one time. Somebody had to make that dirt path and somebody made that made that gravel road and then they paved it. I mean, it's been added to and added to over the years and it's getting better and better. And thank God for that, but it was because of pioneers. Same thing in the church. Same thing. We've got to be thinking, you know, what could this church be? Not next week, but what could this church be doing 10 years from now? 20 years from now? What direction are we headed? You know, not what can this church offer me, but what could what could be possible for my children and for my grandchildren? That pioneer spirit. But you know, the new mindset of today is just that gimme gimme mentality. You know, I was reading a few different quotes that I thought were interesting. There's one man from I believe he's, uh, he was born in the 1700s, died in the 1800s, Alexander Fraser Tytler. He said, A democracy is always temporary in nature. It simply cannot exist as a permanent form of government. A democracy will continue to exist up until the time that voters discover that they can vote themselves gener- generous gifts from the public treasury. From that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidates who promise the most benefits from the public treasury with the result that every democracy will finally collapse due to loose fiscal policy which is always followed by a t- dictatorship. Well, doesn't that sound familiar? I think that guy knew what he was talking about. He also said the average age of the world, he said this over 200 years ago, the average age of the world's greatest civilizations from the beginning of history has been about 200 years. During those 200 years, these nations always progressed through the following sequence. From bondage to spiritual faith. From spiritual faith to great courage. From courage to liberty. From liberty to abundance. From abundance to selfishness. From selfishness to complacency. From complacency to apathy. From apathy to dependence. From dependence back into bondage. I'm afraid we are in the apathy to dependence part. And we're getting real close to going back into bondage. Ronald Reagan, he said, I like what he said. He said, we should measure welfare success by how many people leave welfare, not by how many are added. I get aggravated when our politicians brag about how many people have be, are becoming dependent on them. I'm thinking, why is this a good thing? This is, this is the bad thing. And they brag about it. And boy, Reagan had a different mindset. And I believe he was right. Benjamin Franklin said, when the people find that they can vote themselves money, that will herald the end of the republic. It's, it's Boy, that's so clear what's going on. We're seeing that exact same thing happen today. And you know, I was trying to think about, you know, when did this change? You know, I think about presidents like John F. Kennedy who said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Why did he say that? I believe it's because we were getting into that point where people, they didn't have the attitude, what can I do for my country? You know, this, uh, this week, we just celebrated the 70th anniversary of D-Day. While I was reading some of the things about D-Day, there was 175,000 men that basically went on a suicide mission. 
I heard, I was listening this this week on the radio them talking about it, uh, about how they stormed that beach there on Normandy. It, I mean, it was crazy. It was, I mean, just how many of them died. And these guys, they went out there knowing they are probably going to die. And you know, you hear that story today in today's generation, and you think, what was wrong with these guys? I'll tell you what was wrong with them. Actually, what was right with them? They were thinking about the next generation. You know, why didn't we just leave Hitler alone? He was in Europe. Okay, you know how many years it would have taken him probably to get to take where he could take over America? It probably wouldn't have been that generation. You know, one of the things that they called the Third Reich was the, the thousand year Reich. It was something, you know, they were thinking long term. And, you know, America, if they had been like today, I think they'd have been like, ah, it'll be years before he's over here. But then guess who would be suffering today because of that? It would be us. And now we're enjoying the benefits because 175,000 men that day. I mean, 50,000 vehicles, 11,000 planes attack those beaches. I mean, what an amazing thing that it was. I'm not going to take time to read the whole thing about it. But boy, I mean, more than 2,000 casualties. I mean, just right off the bat. I mean, we, we have no idea. I mean, in our last war, we barely lost that many people in several years. And these people did that because they were thinking about the next generation. We have got to get back to that mindset and stop thinking about today and start thinking about the next generation with, with your families. Think about how you can make things better for your children. Don't just figure out, you know, just don't go just count the days till they're out of your house. Alright, take advantage of those days when, the, when they're in your house. And train them, teach them the way God wants you to in your church. Don't just have that attitude. What does this place have to offer me? Ask the question, what can I do? Where can I serve? Who can I be a blessing to? Not who can be a blessing to me. And I've preached this before, and I think you all know this, but when you are a blessing to somebody else, you get the greater blessing from it. It is more blessed to give than to receive and we've got to get back to that. We've got to get back to that mindset. Our nation, we need, we need to get a president. We need to get some politicians. I'm telling you, I'm hoping in this midterm election, well, I'm, I would just love to see every incumbent get voted out. I mean, it's the mindset of our politicians. Like, what are they thinking? You know how far ahead of politicians think? To the next election. They don't think any farther than to the next election. And then, when they get to their final election and they don't have to worry about it anymore, then they don't, they don't even care anymore. They just do whatever. They're supposed to be thinking about the next generation and even a hundred years from now. And we are on a terrible path. And you know what? The American people are letting it happen because they're thinking about today. They want their problems solved, solved now. And if it causes greater problems down the road, hey, that's our kids and that's our grandkids. That's like Hezekiah. Good is the word of the Lord. It will not happen in my day. And I'm telling you, when politicians do that, there are some, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll warn people, you know, 50 years from now. And if, whenever they say that, they automatically lose the argument because people don't care about 50 years from now. They only think about today. That used to scare people. 50 years from now because they were thinking about their kids and their grandkids. Let's get back to thinking about the next generation. So let's all stand together.